And you're listening to Yeah, No. The podcast about starting a business at the intersection of design and healthcare. I think I need to move from drinking coffee back to wine. <laughs> I think that would take the edge off. Just I spill in the morning. All this coffee. I know you can you're just looking at me down the front <laughs> of my shirt. Yeah. Oh, so your I'm, shirt's not brown? No. <laughs> yeah. So it's been one of those mornings. I did hear about this study that was done recently about mice and boxers and briefs. They made boxers and briefs for mice. Oh my God. And then they tested their their preference? They, no. Oh. <laughs> Are you a boxer's the mouse mice, or The mice were putting them on afterwards. Did you imagine no. that they made little, no. little mouse-sized no. briefs? And they little... did. No, no, they did. Oh. They did make... What was the experiment? I, can I get I mean... through the story? He won't let me finish. They did an experiment to test for uh, reproductive because you know how they say that briefs... They say that briefs, you know, because they hug everything, yeah. that... They're it, not as good for... For sperm count, yeah, exactly. And so they did it on on mice, and, and they drum roll, please. No difference. No There's difference. no difference. The mice who wore briefs were able to reproduce <laughs> equally. Did they as... have a photo? <laughs> that I mean, that is maybe an amazing thing. Why do I know these things? I don't know. <laughs> but these are the things that stick in my head. So okay, research. On that, on that note. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about today, though. No. What are we talking about today? This is not what we're talking well, about. Well, it's kind of related, I guess. We're talking about... <laughs> <laughs> today we're talking about human-centered design. Doesn't that make, doesn't that make a, an interesting parallel? Yeah, I'm just going to go right over that and talk about human-centered design. So <laughs> we wanted to talk about it because it's a pretty, it has kind of come into the fray a little bit more. And I feel like there are a lot of different definitions of it. And we want to talk about how we define it. Right. And how we use it in healthcare, and what the differences might be or how we differentiate the human-centered design that we do versus, you know, and not even versus, but just how we differentiate the human-centered design that we do. So how would you define? Oh, I um, I met someone really interesting last week. Her name is Liz Jackson, and she calls herself a disability advocate. Um, and she has a really amazing story. It was so inspiring to hear, but she told this story about how she woke up one day in 2012 and couldn't move her legs. She talked about, you know, her whole position's been like, when I needed to get glasses, I could find all of these amazing glasses that were really cute or, you know, and that worked. But when she went to go find a cane, all she could find were canes that made her feel old and handicapped. Mm -hmm. And so she uh, went about saying like, well, how how can I get a better cane? And she went to um, J. Crew, and basically was looking around and was like, I don't understand why they have things like belts and you know other accessories, and they don't have a cane. So she tried to sell J. Crew. She spent like a year trying to sell J. Crew on producing mass producing you know a nice fashionable cane for people, and ultimately they turned her down. But then she has taken it upon herself to look at how how can better products be designed for people who have impairments. So how do you, what's your definition of human-centered design? Well, I think 
I mean, outside of just being self-defining, right, that we're always putting the person at the center of it, I think one of the things is that it requires us to be involved with the user at all steps of the process. So um, in some kinds of design, you wait until you've designed a whole bunch of stuff before you actually go out to the user and test to see if it actually works or if it's usable or if it's ergonomically correct. But in human-centered design and in the work that we do, we are constantly trying to ensure that from the starting point, we're being informed by the end user, which in our case is usually the patient. I think we've always looked at this in our work in terms of thinking about, you know, how do you understand what people are doing in their everyday lives and then design to that. Yeah. And I think that the, one of the biggest things is making sure that you're going to the audience before you even begin to identify what the need might be. Yeah. So if you are presented with someone who says, you know, I you know, like Liz, for example, right, woke up and I couldn't move my legs, right? It's before even saying, oh, well, you want to walk, not even assuming that they want to walk. Maybe they want to do something else. Right. And going to them and asking about what their challenges are, what their needs are, and what they actually want to achieve. Yeah, like she has this, she said that she built this thing to carry her cane on her bike. Yeah. Right? And that's something that, like, people would, like, completely focus on the wrong thing yeah right and that's the thing that makes her happy is like she can ride a bike right. and take her cane and then you know she doesn't have any trouble riding the bike yeah right? because i think that there's an assumption that that everybody wants to do the same thing if i am not able to walk all you want to do is be able to walk but that's not necessarily true right so it's starting with the patient getting input from the patient all along the way and then getting ultimately delivering something that patients will use and need and, and have had more. a say in designing yeah. right and I think that what that looks like when we say all along the way is that before we even start with a question or a need we are going to the patient and saying tell us about what your needs are tell us about what your challenges are and then we're starting to generate okay well what is the problem to solve or what is the question that we have and then we start to design for it, and then we go back to them and say, okay, where, what would you design, and, and getting us. So when we say getting input all along the way, it means even before we even have the right question, yeah. we go out to them and we ask them. When you're in a, a business setting, you know, the business needs are oftentimes mistaken for user needs, right? And they're, that's the disconnect is that people get focused on what what do I need to do to um, solve this problem for my business? And that's not necessarily what people want. It can seem and feel inefficient, right? They're looking at uh, market trends. They're looking at where the market's going. They're looking at what's the size of that market and what's the potential of the size of that market. And I can understand why they would feel that human-centered design feels a little inefficient, right? Yeah, or they feel like they're doing the same thing. They are. They think that they're doing the same thing at a grander scale, but I also feel like they think that it's a little bit of a waste of time. Well, it does take time. Um, One of the challenges with healthcare has been, you know, the numbers for qualitative research are low, 
right? Like they're small. And that's part of the magic is being able to empathize and, and get to know the the person you're researching so you get the good detail. But it's hard to do that at a scale of 50 people, right? So you know, just just seeing something that happens to one person can, can be as impactful as you know, doing some kind of crazy research project with hundreds of people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But we also know that there are only so many really types of people in this world. Yeah. And uh, th- and I think that that's part of the human-centered design that we try to tap into, which is what at the center of the humanness is similar across these people and what can be scaled out. There are some kind of universals that that seem to pop up, whether that's based on, you know, we're looking at diabetes or cancer or osteoporosis, that there's these just human truths about people, you know, they want or they want to feel like they're being cared for. They want things that are simple. I mean, those are just basic. They're like not even healthcare related things. They're just human things. You know, if you think about what are the, the human things that drive people or get in their way of doing things. Yeah. And I think that's important for human centered design within healthcare because the assumption is that people are completely focused on their health or their um, condition or their disease or their impairment. And that's just not true. It's like what we've seen going into people's lives and doing this research has been that everybody lives a full life and health is one part of that. You know, it's not like, I don't think we've ever seen a person that's wholly consumed by their, their condition. Yeah, they don't want to be identified by their condition. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what our experiences have been like using human-centered design in healthcare specifically? Right. I think the the biggest point for us has been that the, the shift in thinking about who your end user is And, you know, being able to use human-centered design to bring patients more into the conversation about about healthcare. And the focus had always been on doctors because they felt like doctors were the decision makers. And as, you know, things have changed and and healthcare has evolved, you know, really the, the absent person in that conversation were patients. And I think one of the tricky things about healthcare and doing research is that a lot of times companies can't talk to patients, right? If you think about a pharma company, there's laws that prevent them from actually having direct contact with patients. And so that's become really important for us is how do we bring in that voice um, and do it in a way that allows them not just to focus on the patient as the receiver of healthcare, but but look at the whole person, right? The patient is a person who has a life and who probably healthcare is just a tiny slice of that in some cases. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I think when it comes to healthcare, decisions are so complex. And so oftentimes the behavior that we want them to execute, which is take your medications at 8 a.m. every morning, is not as simple as take your medications at 8 a.m. every morning because 
we find out that, well, they wake up at five to go work out and then they go and then they come home and it's crazy and they've got two kids running around and they're trying to feed them and go out the door. And, you know, and so that kind of stuff where it's like, oh, right, I need to take my pill. That priority goes out the window. Right. And it's just it's not on purpose. It's um, it's just that it's not the first thing on their mind. And so that the problem to solve or the behavior that we're trying to achieve might not be to take the medication at 8 a.m. in the morning, but it might actually be to wake up at 4.45. Right, right. People don't always know what they need. Yeah. And aren't able to articulate it. When you're trying to create new behaviors or you're trying to build onto existing behaviors or build up better behaviors, improve behaviors, I think that that's a different type of perspective when we're conducting research or we're designing for people. Trying to identify what is the behavior that we want to achieve can be really hard because people don't really think about that. They don't think in the way of behaviors, you know. Right. They don't think like, oh, I want to floss my teeth every day as a behavior. They think of that as it's a task that I need to achieve. Right. Or they don't even think it's important. And I think that that's part of why this this human-centered design is, is critical because... What somebody, if you ask somebody what is, what are the activities of your day, they might overlook something that is really important to them that they just do because they don't think it's valuable to the conversation, right? So it's part observation, it's part asking questions. Sometimes it's about doing activities so that you can get them out of that mindset of, I'm going to just talk about the things that I think are important to you, like allowing them that meandering place that they normally wouldn't go to because, you know, you're you're in a, a research setting. Yeah. So I think that um, I think the behaviors are really important. I mean, those are really how we structure goals. That's how we structure. Um, that's w- how our needs are framed. And I think one of the the interesting things around the discourse of of design research has been that people, and BJ Fogg talks about this, people's motivation goes up and down all the time, right? So if you've got to catch somebody at a certain time because emotions are always changing, but if you focus on actions and behaviors and activities, you know, those are independent of how someone feels, right? You have to brush your teeth whether or not you wake up feeling grouchy or or happy, right? or you don't brush your teeth, right? Like. Yeah. I think that um, I can't imagine waking up and not brushing your teeth. You never not brush your teeth in the morning. Yeah, no, absolutely not. It's absolutely the first thing that I do when I wake up. What about which what? is actually not good because you're supposed to brush it after you eat breakfast. But I nobody does that. Do you know, know anyone that does that? Pete used to do it all the time. Oh, but what I was going to say was our friend BJ. I think we've mentioned him before on the podcast. BJ Fogg from Stanford. Persuasive technology. I think lab. now actually they just call themselves a persuasive lab. Persuasive though. lab. Yeah. Um, well, he. I mean, everything about his work is around behaviors and and making behaviors crispy. As humans, we tend to be routine 
um, beings, right? And I think that he always wants to try to attach a behavior to a routine. And I think that sometimes when we conduct human-centered research, we have to piece together what that looks like because some people don't think sequentially. Like they'll say something like, I'll always ask a question in research, for example, of tell me about your day yesterday. Start from the moment you woke up to uh, what you did. What was the last thing you did before you went to sleep, right? And it's really hard, I think, for um, the human brain to piece those things together in a sequential fashion. Are you talking about me? No, I'm talking about in research. And so I'm saying that when usually what happens is, this is how the answer usually goes. They'll do really well starting off. They'll say... Oh, um, Moel, I woke up. I always wake up at you know six thirty, and I'll get up. I'll brush my teeth. I'll um, eat some breakfast. And oh, yesterday I went to the store, and then I I was also I I had to go to work for half the day, and then I had to go pick up my kids. So, so all of a sudden the story just goes awry, right? So I don't know what sequence that's in anymore. And um and with BJ, his thing was that you know you have to figure out what is the thing that you do that's routine every day, right? And I think some part of human centered research is almost puzzling that piece together, which right. is. The part that I love, I think it's really fun to kind of say, okay, she said that she went to the store, but the store doesn't open till you know, nine, so she couldn't have been there before. You know, it's just trying to figure out what that is. It's almost a little investigative, which I think can be fun. Yeah, and in the context, human-centered design is in the context of their life. So it's, for example, it might be somebody tells you, oh, I you know, test my blood sugars every morning, right? And then you ask them, oh, can I see your your blood glucose meter? And they can't find it, right? (laughs) And you're like, oh, you know, they might test every morning, but they don't have a routine about where they put it. They can't, you know, what happens when they can't find it in the morning? That or kind they of might think that they test it every morning, but, but it's really, really every other morning right? or every and, three mornings. And that's, I think, some of the, the richness of human-centered design that you just don't, wouldn't get necessarily from a survey or my market research. Yeah, and I also think it's um, in relationship to healthcare. I think that yeah, people we want to believe. Yeah, like I want to say, oh yeah, I exercise every 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 like five days a week, but that's probably not true. I probably exercise three to four days a week, and sometimes I do it five days a week. But you know, we got these Fitbits. Whoa, that really tells a different story than what's going on in my head. So, yeah, I think that people walking as far as walking, as far as how many hours I sleep a night in terms of how much exercise I do a week. Yeah. So it is. It's like the mind wants to really believe a different story. You can tell yourself a different story. Yeah, it's true. So I think part of a good human centered researcher is that they're able to identify not only the patterns amongst what's been said, but also what hasn't been said and what where are the gaps? Because sometimes in that gap is where you find the solution or where you find the right question. And that's, it's hard to see because yeah. it's no one's, it's, not it's invisible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please consider subscribing to Yano if you like what you hear and leave us a review. You can reach us on the web at yanopodcast.com and also on Instagram. 
Our theme song is written and performed by Chess Smith. This was recorded at Figure Eight Studios with the fabulous Michael P. Coleman. And edited and produced by Elizabeth Otley. We will see you next time. 